podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Competition time again, and here is a chance to win a brand new PS5. All you got to do is subscribe to OnTrackGP on YouTube. Also, follow us on Instagram at OnTrackGP. Make sure you like the competition post. It's pinned on Instagram as well. You can win yourself this right now. What are you waiting for? Can I enter? Or can I have a go? <laughs> no. <laughs> the officials got hold of the drawing showing how he was cheating. And, um, and because he didn't finish in the top six, it wasn't obligatory for him to hand over the carburetor. Oh. And so then, long story short, it went to court. And oh my we- God. Welcome back to On Track GP, specifically the On Track GP podcast. And once again, I've got Richard Bradley with me, professional driver, Le Mans winner. And uh, look, I'm very, very excited about mm. today's uh, episode, Richard. This is one that I've been wanting to do basically since <laughs> I knew that you were um, joining the team. And today's episode is all going to be about how do you become a professional driver? Mm. And you've done it. So, yes. so go on. How do you do it? Quick, oh. answer that. Bye, <laughs> mate. Uh, yeah, we haven't got enough time. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm gonna, I want to learn about like the pyramid and karting and that kind of thing. But one thing I did want to quickly talk about because we're recording this on mm. uh, Monday with the the sort of breaking news that Ryan Reynolds is becoming a heavy investor in the F1 team Alpine. Where's that come from? Yeah, that, that, that's massive news. You never know. We might end up seeing Wrexham's logo on the Alpine <laughs> engine cover before you know it. Yeah, yeah. But I think it's that's fantastic news for Formula One to have someone like him come in. You know, it just re-emphasizes the new type of people who are getting into Formula One. Um, I tell you what it could be cool for, though, is maybe he'll try and do a series with the Alpine team, similar to what he's done with Wrexham, mm. um, which, you know, has obviously gone down like a storm. So, no, it's only, only positive that he's got involved. It's really good for everyone. I mean, it would be fascinating because that sort of documentary uh, about Alpine, the, the unprecedented access that he would get as an mm. investor would be uh, deeper and potentially a lot more access than Drive to Survive and, and Netflix and we uh, with Netflix and we've seen the success that that's had and the, yeah. what that's brought to the sport it could be huge for Alpine bring them these new fans and that kind of thing as well exactly and I mean the thing is Formula 1 teams as, as everyone knows they try and hide everything from everybody so uh, none of them were actually happy when Drive to Survive actually came in and they openly say this but obviously if an investor owns a team and he says well you know I want them to see this he'll have a lot more say so if he does do something I think we might get a documentary with a lot more access to behind the scenes so no i'm really excited for it i think it's oh, great news well look, it's super early days but for me the idea of that would be awesome because what he, number one what he's done at wrexham is mm. out of this world they're now into the into the, you know the the football league uh alpine are already very successful mm. you know we call them probably the fifth team at the moment bit of investment and a bit of press can do so 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 much so Watch this space, man. Could exactly. be great. Exciting times, Could be man. great. But look, let's get into um, today. How do you become a professional driver? Um, I don't, you know, I, I don't know really that much about it. I know in terms of, I, I love F1. I've always loved F1. But you don't really think so much about how, you see the clips of when they were kids and they were karting mm. or their interviews when these guys, you know, the classic being Charles Leclerc saying, oh, it's just an incident on the racetrack. <laughs> you know, the classic, you see those. But you don't think about actually the sacrifice and what happens and the day-to-day -day of what they have to go through. And you've done that. Mm. So I've got a million and one questions. <laughs> I'm trying to narrow them all down. 
um, today, I came across a quote uh, that I think might be a little bit of a recurring theme of today. And the quote was, and I don't know who said it initially, it might be one of those ones, it's a bit of an old wives tale. But the quote was, the best way to become a millionaire while racing is to start off as a billionaire. <laughs> How much truth is that? <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that's probably true for 99.9% of people who get into motorsport. <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, you have like the, the sort of wonder stories of like, probably most notably Lewis Hamilton who mm. kind of came from much more humble beginnings I think Esteban Ocon was kind of in a similar um, situation there and they're absolutely at the top of their game Partic- I mean, particularly Lewis what he's done you know eight world championships not seven eight <laughs> kidding <laughs> <Still bitter>. kidding <laughs> kidding I'm kidding um, so I understand that it starts with karting yeah what is karting so karting, you know, at a professional level is very, very different to what you do in terms of your, your corporate karting and, you know, the stuff that we do with our mates for a laugh. Mm-hmm. Um, the level is as high as you can possibly imagine. And it keeps on growing to the point now where they even have data loggers and they have data engineers. And, and thankfully, when I was karting, they didn't have that because I think it's completely over the top. How, how, old, how old are you when you start karting? I was eight years old when I started karting, year 2000. Eight years old. Eight years old. Yeah, my my parents let me do sixty miles an hour without any seatbelts. You know, see that's wild <laughs> to me. But I guess I mean it makes sense because you know any elite sport you have to start young because yeah. you have to build. Well, am I going to get into confidence and that kind of thing as well? But but to be eight going, you say sixty miles 60 an hour. Sixty miles an hour. The cars didn't work oh when God. I was eight. But to be perfectly honest with you, quite often people start practicing. And when they're five, you can only race when you're eight, but you can practice from, from as old as you like. So a lot of the guys I raced against have been doing three years practicing before they even race. So yeah, they were doing 60 miles an hour at five years old. How do you know that you're good at eight? So how did you, at what point did, did, it, did it go, oh, I, I, I'm actually quite decent at this? It's, it's, to be honest, you know, my, I, um, my, the way I got into it came through my dad's work. Um, my dad was a lawyer and uh, he was doing work for a client uh, whose daughter raced. And she knew someone who looked after a lot of successful drivers. And so for my eighth birthday, dad organized for me to have a go. And it was the first time I'd ever driven a car. And dad told me that after 10 minutes, they, they, you know, the guy who was looking after me, a guy called Rob Goff, said to him that we've got someone pretty good on our hands here. So there's a, there, it, In 10 minutes. There was a natural, there was a natural like, oh, he's got something about him. Yeah. Yeah. That's so interesting because you were probably better than me at eight than I am now. <laughs> <laughs> and then it was a case after that, it was, um, you know, then we, we, we effectively had to make the decision about how seriously we took it. And, um, you know, at the beginning, I was scared of overtaking and stuff like that yeah. until I got bribed for a pound in my uh, in my sixth race. Um, to try and overtake and I just became a complete weapon after well, that. Well, Dad said, I'll give you a quid <laughs> that, if you overtake that someone. That was it, mate. You could afford a lucky bag back then with a quid, you know. That's amazing, mate. And um, then after that, it just, yeah, it just got more and more serious. And then in, in 2003, my last year in um, in cadets, which is the karting category for eight to 12 year olds, okay. we took it very, very seriously. I mean, every single weekend, nonstop. So how does it work in terms of like, where do you get your car and your tires and where do you find out where the races are and that kind of thing? Like, because it's, how 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 do how do you get from oh he's good let's give this a go to owning all the all the gear the helmet even yeah so after that we um you know I did that test and we borrowed a cart for that test or rented or whatever and then um and then we decided to take it seriously so the guy took us to a shop so you just go to a manufacturer's workshop basically and you say hey I want a cart and then they they show you what you need but you know buying a cart the equipment I mean racing equipment is not cheap at all mm. um. You know, to, to even begin to start racing at a proper level, uh, I would say if you want to take it seriously, you need a minimum investment of three grand just for the equipment. Just to get, just to 
just get started. Just to get started. Do you have to pay yeah. to enter races at yeah, in the you have Cadet? Yeah, you have to pay to enter every single race. The entry fee back when I did it was probably uh, was probably sixty or seventy quid. So I can imagine now it's into the hundreds. Um, and and it's it all just to turn up. up. Just to turn up. Yeah, the numbers are. You know, the the reality is is yes, we do have people such as Lewis um, Esteban who came from very humble beginnings. But to even get started, you have to come from a, a relatively well-off background. And yeah, so okay, there's there's the odd exception, but you know, I, I worked very very hard to become a pro. It's kind of it's kind of crazy. Um, I think we should get back into a little bit later about the idea of like how do we how can we make this less elitist? How mm. can we get more Absolutely. of the Lewis and Estebans um, into racing? But for now, let's carry on. So eight to twelve, you do the cadet racing. Mm. You get to 12 years old and you have to win a certain amount of races to carry on or, or what happens? Well, it, you have to. I mean, at the end of the day, at that point, it's still coming from your own pocket. No one raises sponsorship at that age because, you know, to oh. be perfectly honest, who's going to sponsor a car? There's no return on the investment. The only people who get sponsorship then are people who, who have connections through business or something else like that. Yeah. So I was still funded by my family at that point. And 2003 became a very, very serious year for me. And we decided to take it seriously. And it became a very difficult year in a way as well because, um, you know, I did I did the British Championships. I did various regional races, everything. I had a very successful year. I was Irish champion, Midland champion. Wow. Um, but I was At the age of? At the age of 12. Um, but then I was competing for the British Championship. And, you know, this was the first sign to me of the dark side of motorsport. Uh, because there was a driver I was competing against who had bought um, an illegal carburetor from another competitor. And um, he was using that, and it was quite obvious that he had an advantage. And, um, you know, it was at, the, at the end of the series, it was uh, him first in the championship by a point, me second. And oh. there was a rule where... If you finish in the top six in a race, they the officials are allowed to check your engine, check your carburetors, check you're not cheating, basically. Mm. And this guy didn't finish in the top six uh, in the last race. And long story short, the officials got hold of the drawing showing how he was cheating. And um, and because he didn't finish in the top six, it wasn't obligatory for him to hand over the carburetor. Oh. And so then, long story short, it went to court. And oh we, we weren't a party in this. It was only the championship who was a party in this. And the actual governing body who, who were behind it, the governing body was actually trying to do this for us with the championship. Mm. Um, and yeah, nine months later, uh, they won the case. So I thought to myself, you know, I was 30 points ahead of, which is the equivalent to, I think, uh, one race win ahead of the, the next place guy. And I was 11 years old and you put all that work into it. And at that point I was thinking... You know, this kind of sucks a lot. What and do you do here? That's at 11. At 11 years Emotionally, old. Emotionally, how do you deal with the fallout from something like that? Well, I mean, it was good. My, 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 the guy who was looking after me at the time, Rob Goff, and my dad were quite clever because they kept it away from me until I had another okay. big win. And they just told me not to focus on it. And I didn't mm -hmm. focus on it. And I won the next year. I won the Irish Kart Championship again. And that night when I won the championship was when they told me I lost the British Championship from the year oh before. Oh, my God. But, you know, it was dark. It was it was very, very dark because you thought to yourself, why do I even bother? Yeah. Um, or you can go, screw you. I'm going to just show that I'm better than that, yeah. which is thankfully the decision I made. But it wasn't God. it wasn't nice. That's, I mean, that's yeah. It's, and, and it's almost a bit of a sign of things to come right yeah. within as you're talking about the dark side of mm. motorsport. So you finish the cadet mm. uh, racing. You're now 12, about to turn 13. What's the next step? The next step is to graduate to what we call junior categories, basically. And this is where you start to get into the pyramid because the people, everyone starts out in cadet, big grids, big numbers, see if they like it. And then mm. the costs ramp up every category you go into. You have to practice more. You have to have better equipment. Obviously, as you get faster, the more loads, so the more the more you have to replace parts, etc. Yeah. And so the pyramid 
gets smaller because people decide they're not going to make it or they don't want to take it seriously. So as the pyramid gets smaller, though, all the good guys are still there. And there's more good guys because you then got the experienced good guys from before. So the level becomes even higher. Um, and also the interesting thing with juniors is this is where you can start entering European competitions. Okay, wow. So this is where things start to get very, very difficult, very, very time-consuming, very, very expensive. Um, uh, and yeah, you just do the same thing pretty much. You compete in as many championships as you can. In juniors, I did the European championships a couple of times, did the Italian championships, the French championships, the Irish championship, the English championship. Uh, and so at 13, for how long, is, when does junior finish? You, you go from 12 to 16. 12 to 16, okay. Yeah. So in that category, my first question about it is, do you race against people your ability or do you race against people your age? Uh, you race against people in that age group. Okay, so you, each year against 12-year-olds, then 13, then 14 and 15? No, 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 so you're, you're all together, basically. Oh, so there's no, there's no age separation? No, 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 there's no age, no, no, there's age defined, no, no. So not at 12 years old, you're racing against a 16-year-old? Correct. What? Uh, which is a big difference, right? Huge. And obviously they've got all that experience racing in those. And then the other oh big God. thing is the carts get bigger in size. The power is a lot. They're a significantly bigger beast than they, they were in the cadet categories. Are you a different species Correct. from 12 to 16, particularly as a guy? Yeah. You, like you go through all, all of your changes in that time. And, and emotionally and mentally as well. So I can't believe that 16 and 12 year olds are fighting each you're other. You're looking at guys who are starting to get a beard and have got a deep voice and everything. And you're there with your high pitched <laughs> voice like, oh, why did you hit me? Oh my God, Richard, that's crazy. I didn't know that. And I guess so my, my um, second question is, how quick are these cars going now in the junior category? So top speed on some circuits, you'll be doing 90 miles an hour. Um, oh but the thing God. is with karting, the top speed isn't what, what gets your attention. It's acceleration because they're geared for such short straights. So you'd probably do 0 to 60 or at least once they're moving, you'd probably get to 60 miles an hour in four seconds. You, you, you'll be Yeah, you'll be doing some crazy speeds. And potentially you're 12. Yeah, potentially you're 12. Even at 16, you're still yeah. a year away from getting your road license and you're going quick, 20 miles an hour quicker than you're legally allowed to go in a road car. This is crazy to me. And at this point as well, karting is a motorsport. It's supposed to be a non-contact sport, but I tell you, rubbing is racing and karting and you really? you uh, you take matters into your own hands sometimes. So it's it's a contact sport. Is that, is that potentially there we're getting into the dark side of motorsport again? Um, not really. I mean, to be honest, you have to, it's just a rough and tumble of it, right? It's like when you have a football match and some teams kick out a bit more it just it starts to get physical but again Boys. when you're at when you're at the well, when you're at the top though you know every, there's an amount of respect between everybody we race very very hard but it's normally very fair and at this point as well because you got into this going back to the beginning it was your your dad's buddy whose daughter raced mm. is there a separate category for guys and girls in the junior no. or is everyone's all together we're all together and wow. throughout karting we're all together um, wow. And to be honest, I've raced against some extremely quick, extremely talented female drivers. Mm. Um, you know, they didn't make careers for one reason or another, but they were very, very talented. That's really I mean, uh, you know, to the, long, the girl who I started racing against in juniors, she ended up being on the front row for the world championship when I was in seniors. Wow. So there's some seriously quick girls in karting. Yeah, there's, it's, it's kind of interesting because there are just less women in motorsport generally. Mm. Why is that? Well, to be honest, when you get to juniors, it's it's the sort of stage where the carts are the carts are when I did it 135 kilos are heavier now 145 kilos. You've got no aids at all, no suspension, nothing. Mm. So that's the point where you actually have to start becoming fit and you have to start mm. becoming quite strong, especially in the upper body. So if you don't train and if you don't start getting a bit muscular and everything, then then you're just not going to be able to be to compete. Mm. And so there's a bit of that, and then. You know, it, it's it's just something that makes it, it's not quite as attractive for female, but also there's a preconception that, you know, uh, females, 
can't get into it but it's completely it's completely untrue they they come into it and when you get to a top level we look at an when we see a helmet on the track we don't care whether it's godzilla or a female or anything yeah. in that helmet it's a helmet and yeah. we want to beat it you know but i tell you there's some very very fast women drivers yeah and i think that's something that the sport generally needs to look at at a grassroots mm. level in the same way that football has done much better recently, particularly, you know, the success of the Lionesses last year. And that's had such a positive impact into mm. women, into football. Uh, I really hope that motorsport can try and promote that to get young girls driving in the same way that so many young guys are driving. Mm. Um, okay. So you do four years in the junior category. Then what happens? Then it's again, it's it's the same thing because this is where it starts to get really serious is when you get into the senior level and there's, you know, the senior level is basically the Formula One of karting. And this is where you actually have factory drivers like you do in other forms of motorsport where they're paid by the manufacturer to race for that kart manufacturer mm. to market and sell karts basically. And there's no age limit. So you get into seniors when you're 16 and you'll have people who, you know, you'll be racing against 30 year olds. And wow, that, again, it's, you're a diff, it's a different, yeah. completely different mental and physical game between 16 and 30. And you notice the difference in body language from the carts when you're racing against some of the adults. Really? And I tell you, when they decide that they want to remove you from the race, they, they hit you a lot harder than the younger guys do. Wow. Um, you know, you're, but you're up against people and this, this is where the level is insane. I mean, I'm, I was up against one driver who was world champion before I started karting in the category that I was competing <laughs> against him. What? And you're like, my word. You know, oh so and but and then also apart from that, at that level, it expands outside of just the national and European circuit as well. You have to compete in the Asia Pacific Championship. You have to compete in the World Championships, and this is all whilst you're going to school. And you have to be testing all the time. I think in my last year of school, my attendance was I think 55 percent or something like oh that, just because I had to be away testing and practicing constantly. And again, this is another kind of reoccurring theme that comes up is like the emotional strain of that in terms of traveling there's a, there's mm. got to be an element of tiredness knocking about the stress also of of uh your exams and your school but also like emotionally man dealing with like friendships and relationships what's that about yeah, that, how does that work it's it's very it's very very tricky because you do find it extremely hard to keep a social life because you're you're literally having to practice every single weekend and i always used to practice at a track in lincolnshire so i had to go from southeast london to lincolnshire every weekend and then if there was a race uh we'd always have to leave on the wednesday or the thursday and you'd get back late sunday night and then you you'd because you'd always have to go into school no matter where you had been because you were taking so much time off mm. but also that means that you miss all the social events with your mates and it, I've got good mates and I'm still you know really good friends with them today and it was always easier to keep in touch with your mates but there were times where you always got you know it's human nature to always want what you can't have I remember one incident there was a girl I liked at school it was my first sort of secondary school crush yeah and uh, there was a party that weekend and a really good mate of mine ended up you know getting with her and they ended up in a relationship and yeah now you look back on it and you laugh and but we all know what we're like when we're 15 years oh, old mate. you know that makes a makes a huge difference and you I was at that time I was sleeping in a camper van at a circuit in Lincolnshire and it was minus five degrees or something and I was thinking why the hell am I doing this but as I said, it's first world problems now, but when you're that age, it makes a big difference. But then also, you know, my parents were very, very tough on me as well, which is a very good thing because they said to me that, you know, I was in an unbelievably fortunate position where I was having this amount of money spent on me. And so they made my life, um, they basically 
when I was young, up until the age of 18, they gave me 10 pounds a week pocket money. Mm -hmm. And they said, if you want any more money, then you have to go and get a job. So I did. I did a lot of waitering jobs and all of that stuff. But I got fired from every job because I kept having to go practicing. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, to my, I said to my mom, I said, look, I've clearly been working hard. I've clearly been trying. You know, it costs, it costs six quid for a travel card into London. Um, you know, or, or can I, uh, you know, you've got to help me out. She said, yeah, you can help yourself out. You can stop racing whenever you want. Yeah. And, you know, you just little things like that. You again, it's first world problems, but I'm very grateful for it now. Yeah. Know? And I think that makes you check yourself a little bit and mm. go, hold on a minute. I, as as you said, yeah. I am in a fortunate position. I can't just not everything is being given to me. And if I want to go, if I want to make this yeah. into my life, then these are the sacrifices I have to make. Mm. Really, really, really interesting. Um, talk to me about sponsors. When does that start happening? How does that happen? It's incredibly, incredibly difficult to find sponsorship in the UK, and it's almost a bit of a myth. Um, 2008, when the financial crisis happened, had a huge effect, and motorsport hasn't really recovered from that. It used to be a lot easier to get sponsorship before that. Um, but honestly, in karting and at the junior levels, 99.9% of sponsorship is through connections. Um, you know. Oh, man, and that must be so hard. It's very difficult for the English drivers because there's so many of us. You know, there's so many good English drivers. It's easier for drivers from other countries where motorsport's not such a big thing because it's very, very unique. Um, but for English drivers, you know, there's uh, there's there's a huge number coming up, coming through, and and it's very difficult to justify it because a a lot of people don't know the sport and the level of the sport, especially karting. And when they think of karting, you think of your casual indoor karting that we all do. We don't see the level where you've got. You know, the budgets for karting now thank, have gone bonkers. To, to do proper karting now is like 300 grand a year to do it at a serious level. Oh, give me a break. Yeah, I know, right? It's gone. Oh, my and th that's God. And th that's to do it as, as much as you can at the highest level you can do. <sighs> You know, that's not to do it at a national level. That's to do the full world circuit. Talking about elitist, man. Like, I know, who's got, right? And that's that's 300 a year that you've just got. Yeah. You've got to still... Oh, man, that's great. I mean, it comes back to that that quote. If you want to be a millionaire racer, start off as a billionaire. Exactly. So guys finding sponsorships, of course they're going to find more sponsorships if daddy's got a billionaire business and it, someone fancies a little little bit of money on a, exactly. on a, on a somebody that's karting. And the problem is at that age as well is you, you haven't reached your plateau yet. So you keep improving on an almost vertical scale so the more you do it the more you you test i mean I, there were kids i raced against who didn't end up making a career but they literally w wouldn't go to school they would be homeschooled and some of them wouldn't even have two tutors and they would just test three four days a week oh it was bonkers God. utterly bonkers i mean it's just, it's just it's just wild to me yeah. okay so you're now in the what was the name of it? the senior the senior ranks yeah the yeah. senior ranks how, how do I... I've made it to the senior ranks. Mm. Joe Ashman's there. It's not very likely. <laughs> how do I then get myself a seat in a Formula One car? What do I do? So again, unfortunately, it comes down... It does come down to funding because then you have to go into cars and cars is where the funding does start to get very, very serious. Mm. Um, especially the differences in karting is when you have a shunt, it doesn't cost that much. But when you have a crash in cars, it really gets your attention. And the, the, at, the parts are more expensive. Yeah, and more everything's carbon fiber. So it's unbelievably right. expensive. Yeah. Um, you know, and so when I, I went into cars and the only way I could go into cars was, um, was, you know, uh, don't get me wrong. I'm from, I'm from a wealthy family, but there's, there's only a certain limit that you can go to. And it's not, it's not big daddy stroll money. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Which again is what sucks because, you know, we don't deserve to the, the, we deserve to make it once we put the effort in, but we don't deserve the opportunity we had. Mm. You know, we did nothing to earn that right. Really interesting. And when I, my, you know, the category to do in the UK, we just couldn't afford it. Um, so my dad was able to get a job in Singapore and, um, 
and the tax rate out there was significantly lower than the UK and the cost to go racing there was significantly lower. Interesting. So we were able to go out and I did the Asian Championship, um, which, you know, the economy there at that time was a lot better. And fortunately, I won the championship in my first year. And um, wow. I was also lucky because Red Bull, the Europe, because the European market was struggling a bit, Red Bull sent over their drivers. So I was up against Science, I was up against Kvyat. And, oh man, that's cool. And so, you know, and, and fortunately after that, you know, I won the championship, but then the offer I had to go back to Europe was a very, very good offer from a very good team who I won't name, but they wanted like, they wanted like half a million quid and it just wasn't possible. You to pay them half a million quid? Pay them half a million quid to go to Formula 3 and that's cheap. It's like a reverse transfer fee. Exactly. It's like you're paying... Pay to re- pay, well, yeah. it is pay to race, yeah. rather than pay to race. Sorry, be paid to race for that's that's, and that's crazy, a, and that's a deal. That's a properly good deal. And then, fortunately, I had the opportunity to, um, you know, to go to Japan, and that's 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 you know where I ended up making a career and what expanded for me. But I literally, basically, got told one day I got home from school, and they said, "Yeah, do you want to? You know, if you want to continue racing, you're going to have to move to Singapore." Oh and that God. was in the days before there was 3G and before there was any apps and stuff like mm. that. You know, I was still plugging my laptop in with a cable and all that stuff. And oh my God. I moved to Singapore and it was like, until the racing started, I just thought, well, what the hell am I doing yeah. here sort of thing? Because you couldn't, you couldn't meet anybody. You know, I didn't have any mates. There. I had no way to create something. What a, I mean, what a sacrifice that is. Like, and how old are you at this point? Did you I say? I was 18. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, you know, technically an adult and stuff, but like, you've still got so much self-exploration to do oh, yeah, at that I age. Mean, like, that's real. Oh my but also, God. you know, the other thing is I, I, everything I had except for driving cars was at home. It was at home in London. Oh God, you know, yeah. every, the culture I knew, my family, mm-hmm. friends, everything. But it, for me, it was, um, I didn't even think about it. It was a non-issue. I was doing it. I Were wanted, you out there on your own? Uh, no, my dad was out okay. there. Uh, but my dad was traveling a lot from there. So I spent a lot of time on my own. But for me, it was it was, it was was a no-brainer. I was, uh, was going to do it because I wanted to, I love racing that much. You know? So interesting. Um, so... Now into the formula categories, mm. how do how would I step from you know let's say I've done well in the seniors or whatever I've made a bit of a name for myself how do I then go into the formula categories and then eventually to Formula One? It's you you know obviously, money yeah it's money <laughs> it's it's money I mean unfortunately it really is I mean to be honest though the good thing is once you get to cars it's more relatable so then there is more of a chance to get sponsorship it's still unbelievably difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, but there is then a chance to get sponsorship because you have something to sell. You can relate to it. You know, there's more TV coverage, you know, the, the events that you go to, et cetera, et cetera. Like, for example, when I did, um, when I did the first year of cars, Formula BMW, which is the equivalent mm. to Formula 4 now, um, okay. my first race was supporting the Malaysian Grand Prix. Wow. Um, so the only two race winners that weekend were myself and Sebastian Vettel, so, <laughs> which was something you could quite easily sell that, you know. That's a good plaque to <laughs> yeah. have. Me and Seb won at the weekend. Yeah, that's and wicked. So it's, it's easier to sell. But then, um, you know, it is, it is about once you go from one category, you go to the next category. And as the categories get quicker, the numbers get more and more serious to the point where to get a seat in Formula 2 now, you're looking at 2.5 million. Um <gasps> yeah <laughs> oh my god and that's and that's and that's you have to you have to pay the team you that to, money or the or you have to pay the team that money and that's before anything else so that's before your expenses which you have to pay you have to pay your tickets to fly out there i can't get my head that. about it it feels like they should be paying you to drive their car it, it does it does and that's the you know it feels like it but this is this is the business model and obviously racing cars are very expensive um but you know that's before anything else that's before you have a shunt for example um oh my God. you know there was some there was some shunts in formula two it's quite easy to have a crash in formula two for the bill to be over a hundred thousand 
quite oh, easy. Oh, my God. I feel sick. <laughs> I mean, a front wing in Formula 2, a front wing assembly is 40,000 euros. Oh, so. my God. Oh, my God. <laughs> so is this where the sponsors come in and that's where you need the support of sponsors Correct. to get you a seat? And then when you are at that level, honestly, in Formula 2, you would probably say that 90% of the drivers are funded through sponsorship. You know, how they got that yeah. sponsorship is, is, is different scenarios, but mm -hmm. they all have big sponsorship behind them. And then... The difference between Formula One, sorry, Formula Two into Formula One is where does that change? So this is the, the thing that you have to then start looking at is your super license situation. Okay. Uh, which was a system that they didn't have when I was driving, but there was some, um, they, they decided to bring it in because it was actually Verstappen who created this because Verstappen had his first go in a Formula One car. I think he was 17 at Suzuka. Yeah. And everyone went, what, are you serious? And to be honest, I I raced in a category in Japan called Super Formula, which is Japan's version of F1, okay. which Liam Lawson's competing in now. The guys could be on the line for AlphaTauri. And they were they're probably three, four seconds off of F1. And I did that in my fourth year of cars. And that category, you know, it, it was a huge, huge step up. And mm -hmm. it was something quite big. And I was 21 when I did that. Wow. So when I saw Max going into a Formula One car at 17, I thought, mate, this is this is too young and yeah. max is a, a special special individual case but you when it gets like that you start to create a precedent and there are teams in formula one who will accept paychecks to put drivers into cars really for free practice or young driver tests wow. so they bought this rule in to actually stop that from happening so the super license points now is kind of the max for staff and rule so once you qualify for enough super license points you then have to either wait for an opening to come on the formula one grid or you have to you know, you, you effectively, a lot of drivers will just buy their way in. Oh, my God. And But then, as I said, when you get to the Formula One, then you can actually raise sponsorship commercially because, obviously, it's such a big identity. But you're talking, I don't know, probably talking 10 million for a year, something like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Some crazy numbers. It's but more than some of them get paid. Yeah, yeah, it's completely, so it's potentially completely mental. I mean, you know, they've all got... But also the drivers, who, the drivers who, at that point, when you make commercial sponsorship... You take a cut from the sponsorship as your salary, okay. so they are actually making money out. Of it. Okay, um, but yeah, it's 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 mind mind boggling numbers. It's mind boggling, absolutely crazy. And I mean, look, you've done you've done unbelievably in your career. And what I find so interesting about your career now is that it's so diverse in what you're what you go and do i mean you, you, i can't believe that you're not jet lagged because 12 you know less than 12 hours ago you were like landing back from japan like yeah it's it's crazy you go and you and you help drivers out there and you do a lot of testing at all the tracks you've obviously won le mans like it's amazing the diversity that you've been able to have in your career from from all of this but the thing that was i was very very lucky because you know i had enough money to to start and get me to a certain level but you know we, we don't have the the money of your of your of your other people but we i was fortunate because we uh, the way my my family is it's quite cosmopolitan in that we're not afraid of travel and stuff like that mm -hmm. and we we look at the world in, in a bigger picture and we were able to pick out paths where there was opportunities to make a career as i mentioned we went to asia that was still only two years after the financial crisis and obviously we all remember the european markets weren't there mm. but the asian markets have started recovering so i went to asia when it was a, an emerging economy and the manufacturers i.e toyota basically were able to support indirectly for for me to be able to continue racing out there um so i didn't go the traditional route but i didn't have the opportunity to and that's how i was able to yeah. then build a career so i was very very lucky that my parents had that sort of vision and that scope but the other thing is uh, 
for me, uh, one thing I find quite sad is I feel like a lot of drivers now coming through the categories, a lot of them like to do it because it looks cool on Instagram and they like to just be at certain races, certain events and certain cars. <coughs> Monaco. <I'm> a... <coughs> there you go, exactly. But I'm a complete motorsport junkie. I yeah. love motorsport. You know, I, 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 will get, I will go watch races. I will drive anything I'm asked to. I will go to anything. And I really enjoy, you know, I was in Japan helping a young driver, uh, Jem Bollockbassi, who I've worked with in the past helping him and i love guiding drivers through the path giving them my knowledge because i know how difficult it is mm. and to to help them through this minefield of politics and and uh, and the other bs that comes in motorsport yeah. um but anything to do with motorsport i'm just i'm there straight that's away. really really interesting all right i'm going to take you back to when you're eight years old you're back in the uh in the cadet um series uh and i i I, I, I would personally feel terrified right now at the age I am mm. driving a tiny little cart flat out at like 60 or 90 miles an hour into a corner. I would feel terrified doing that now. At what age do you lose that fear? Do you never have that fear? Is it, is it courage? Is it just, I, I love this, I'm just enjoying myself. Where, when do you lose that fear? Because I think a lot of people out there would go, oh, I'd love to get in a Formula car, but the realism of driving something, particularly a small little thing, let alone when you get into the crazy big quick F1 cars, when does that fear go or, or come or do you never have it? It's to be honest, it's, it's a bit different. You 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 have fear when you first experience things, but I didn't have fear when I first started karting. The only time in karting I had fear was my first European race because you hear all of these rumors how aggressive the Europeans are, mm. and um, and yeah, my first European race they are extremely aggressive to the extent that it's changed now because they're they've cooked up on this rule. But you used to overtake on the formation laps, you know. Oh, they, yeah, and my fir <laughs> my first race in Italy, I actually qualified. I think I qualified. 10th or something like that if you're in the midfield where they can't see you because there's this gaggle of carts it's just war out there oh and I God. started 10th and I think I was supposed to start 10th I think I started the race 24th because <laughs> I just got completely bullied on the formation lap oh, and you were like 12 or something uh, yeah I was 12 or 13 and like, I came in and I got a complete rollicking from my uh, from my mechanic and my coach and everything and I just went well what do you mean I was on the formation like yeah. they're all cheating and they just went well they're not going to get a penalty and I thought oh, okay well I've got to do it so the yeah. next so I made a rule then every single race I did after that if I didn't qualify in the top 10 then I was starting two rows ahead of where I was supposed to oh my god and it was quite I remember one quite funny story is I thought this was just a European mentality and I did all my races in Italy at the beginning then I went and did a round of the French championship and uh, the French were a lot more timid than the Italians okay and so I was like right elbows out on the formation lap sort of thing and then I remember there was this front French driver Alexandre Aru at the end of the race oh my word he just I had like he was leading the charge but I had six Frenchmen just coming up to me shouting uh, in French just like uh, <laughs> and then trying to explain to the officials I went hey I did nothing wrong you know oh my god <laughs> that's crazy right I've got two questions for you because this has kind of been so fascinating for me in terms of like the really the I think one of the main things that's come across is like the amount of sacrifice and the amount of balls that you have to have mm -hmm. to do this. So my two questions for you: Would you recommend somebody to do this? And if I was to make you eight years old again, would you do it again? Would I recommend someone? Absolutely not. Really? No way. No, not at all. Because the. The demographics changed significantly since I did it because technology has evolved. And unfortunately, when technology does evolve, the costs evolve. And the costs now are just completely insane compared to when I did it. Um, if I had to get into it now, I just wouldn't be able to do it. Um, I wouldn't be able to make a career from it because mm. 
everything's just spiraled out of control. Um, also, the chances of, of making something are rem- minutely slim and the sacrifice can be very detrimental and deliberating to to the drivers involved, the family. So my advice would be no. Um, and if I end up having kids, I would have to think very hard about whether I decide to put him or her into, into motorsport. Yeah. Uh, would I do it again? Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Because... I just knew you were going to say it. I knew it because that's, that's who you are. I love that. I mean, I, I, because the, the one thing which motorsport did and the way that my parents um, were with me when I was growing up is it made me it made me grow up effectively and learn that I could look after myself. You know, I was flying to Japan when I was 15 years old on my own. And, you know, I was going, I was going flying basically all over Europe on my own from when I was 13 or so. And the independence and how that taught me to grow up and look after myself, the life skills I've gained from what I learned during motorsport are are massive. Mm. And then, you know, the, 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 the political side of it has, has given me a new, a new steely determination, I would say, which has helped me in other aspects of life. And apart from that, I've just had, a, I've met some amazing people. I've had the best time and I'm in the fortunate position now where I'm paid to, to do what I love. I mean, what, what, a, what a fantastic position to be in. But, you know, I was, again, it goes back to the point where I, I worked, I worked massively hard to get to where I'm at. Um, but I was very fortunate that I came from the background that I came from, because which I certainly, you know, I deserve to make the deserve to make the career I've made. Mm. I haven't, deser- I didn't deserve to have the opportunity that I had. You know, I just got lucky, and I think that it's taught me a new aspect on life, which I think is far bigger than just the motorsport side, which I'm eternally grateful for. And I, I've I've got some incredible stories and had some great memories, and yeah. I'd, lo- I'd love to actually go further into some <laughs> stories that you've got because we've had some chats off air that yeah. we might have to limit the language a little bit but some of the things that you've been through so I think that's something that we could look to yeah. uh, in the future but mate what a way to wrap it up thank you so much for sharing um, all of your experiences it's, it's like completely fascinating mm-hmm. to hear it and uh, I can't wait for because I'm going to go karting with Richard at some point <laughs> that's going to be funny that's going to be hilarious that I'm going to get good. absolutely like driven or oh, oh, it'll be awful we'll have the cameras there don't worry yeah uh, yeah and everyone will see how awful i am uh <laughs> but it'll be good fun and and you know it, it, again it'll be one of those things that shows the disparity between professional and some guy that just sort of like gets in the car and presses go and hopes for the best so um no richard thank you so much guys don't forget we still do have the ps5 competition running we're going to close that on the weekend of silverstone uh we'll drop a video like straight after this where you can see all the details of how you could win uh, but for now Thank you very much for watching or listening wherever you get your podcasts from. This is the On Track GP podcast, and we'll see you for the next one. Competition time again, and here is a chance to win a brand new PS5. All you've got to do is subscribe to On Track GP on YouTube. Also, follow us on Instagram at On Track GP. Make sure you like the competition post. It's pinned on Instagram as well. You can win yourself this right now. What are you waiting for? Can I enter? Or can I have a go? <laughs> no. <laughs>